0: Hi, friends. Today, I want you to meet Shane.
1: Hit it. Bring Bring on on the the bread bread and spread spread some mustard on the bottom.
0: As you can already tell, Shane's a pretty fun guy. He worked with teenagers for many years at his church, and so he learned to be young at heart. In fact, my wife was one of those teenagers, and as you can tell from that recording, they were pretty tight. But now, he's a specialist in the area of addiction. He works with addicts every day of his life, and unfortunately... To say it those two careers might not be as different as one might think let's talk about it.
1: welcome to the tri-valley parenting podcast we exist to educate and empower parents of teenagers so that families can thrive here's your host anthony mcleod
0: Welcome to episode number four, Sexual Addiction and Teens. Now, just a quick warning before we get started today. Today we're talking about some mature topics. So, if you're on the BART train and you've got your phone on speaker and you're listening to this, or if you're in your car and there's other people around and you don't want to look like a weirdo, you might want to pop in your earphones, and especially if you got young ones, uh, and you don't want to introduce them to topics that they're not ready for. You definitely want to pop in the earphones for this. And here's the deal. You might be surprised to find out that as a youth pastor that this is the number one issue that I deal with with kids. I think even more than depression or anxiety or drama between kids. I've just honestly come to realize that when a middle school or a high school student comes up to me and starts a sentence off with, Pastor Anthony, I need to talk to you about something. It's almost always about a student's addiction to pornography and masturbation. And the first thing that they tell me is, I've tried to stop, but I can't. And so we're going to talk about the area of sexual addiction today in teenagers. Here's our interview with Shane Couch. Yeah. Second. second, Yay, lucky you. Second interview in a row. And uh, now we're talking about his bread and butter. The, the passion of his life. Which well, is. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe that's his a matter one. I'm
2: passionate about helping other people.
0: Yes. In this. That's what I meant. That's I think what his I meant. life is yes, the passion his Yes, my wife his and children life. would be yeah. my number one. Okay, so we'll roll that back. Um, so, Shane, would you tell us uh, a little bit of what, about why you're so passionate
2: about this particular topic of sexual addiction? Because it greatly affected my own life. And every aspect of my life. But at the time, I didn't know it was. And we can chalk that up to denial. Um, But it's hard to tell someone who's in denial that they're in denial because they're going to deny that they're in denial. So (laughs) it's hard to break through that. Um, But yeah, it affected my life. It affected uh, my marriage, my ministry. Uh, It just affected every part of my life. It was like a, a cloud over me. Even though other people couldn't see it, Now that I look back on it, I see I was walking around in this cloud, you know, I just wasn't as clear as I could have been. So uh, once I started getting uh, some healing and recovery around it, and I had finally had the right uh, resources and tools to get healing and recovery, um, then my passion started to grow to help others who were struggling as well, because I knew, well, if I'm struggling, then I know there's others struggling too, and specifically pastors, because I was a pastor, and then, because I realized uh, pastors don't have a lot of safe places to go to process this stuff. And so I wanted to be a safe place for someone to come and get the help that I had received and and, have, and experience the healing that I had experienced as well. So that's why it's such a big part of my life.
0: Let me say what you might be thinking right now. They're kids. That word addiction seems a little radical. I mean, they're in that place in life right now where there's heightened sexual curiosity. This stuff is normal. They'll grow out of it. But to be honest with you, many don't. Shane helps us break down what's normal, what's not, and what behavior could become detrimental if it's left unchecked. Is,
2: uh, you know just a dependency on a relationship or a substance or a behavior um, that's unhealthy. That, that's a, a sure sign it's an addiction. Um, and we usually give this, this little checklist. Um, it's usually done in secret especially for those of us as Christians, if it's done in secret, um, you've tried to get help around it, but you've, you've failed, and you're still struggling with it. Um, something is repeated, it's cyclical, and if loved ones found out about it, it would cause a lot of hurt and heartache. So for us as Christians, that's a good guideline to see if we're struggling with something that's an addiction. So, And sexual addiction obviously fits that, that category. So to address like teens and sexual addiction... Um okay, yeah teens they're they're coming into their sexuality you know especially for young men their sex drives are very strong, of course, you know all that and I, I can understand people who want to say, well, it's normal, but if we just call it normal, it can turn into something abnormal that follows them into their adulthood, mm-hmm. and they're still struggling just as they were when they were teenagers as a thirty year old thirty five year old man married kids job does, doesn't matter um, so if we don't talk about it educate kids um even before they're they've hit puberty um then they could be you know set up for something they're struggling with the rest of their life if if they don't get the proper help around it a kid who does engage in that kind of behavior yeah as a teenager they might not be an addict but like i said if they don't understand you know Healthy coping mechanisms, or they don't have people to talk to, or whatever, and there's been some sort of trauma, or something happened in their earlier life. It's going to follow them into adult, adulthood. So it's the same thing, you know, with with something like masturbation. That's that's the easiest way um, for a young person to act out. You know, you don't, all you need is your your imagination and your body parts, and so that's the easiest way for someone to act out. But there we can get addicted to the chemicals that are released in our brain upon orgasm and so you carry around the very chemicals in your head that you can get addicted to different than you know doing a drug you have to go out and acquire a drug you know so that's another aspect of how kids become addicted to something like uh, masturbation.
0: probably grew up in the days of the magazine under the mattress where getting porn was hard because you could only find it in printed material. Well now, porn is easy. It's digital. It's accessible to children at the touch of a button. And hiding it is easy. And what's scary is that that becomes a way of life for so many teens. A majority of our teens are hiding secrets that no one will ever know about. In fact, Shane shared some stats with us. The kind of stats that you don't want to hear. The kind of stats that make you want to press the stop button. But you know what's scarier than the stats? People living in ignorant bliss while a generation of students cripple their ability for future intimacy because they prefer an image on a screen over a real person.
1: Say, I mean, we're talking a lot about guys. We're talking about men, and Anthony's mentioning boys are coming into his office. Mm-hmm. But I've had quite a few young girls yeah. come to me, mm-hmm. and um, I didn't necessarily expect that going into youth ministry that mm-hmm. I was, I was as a woman, a female pastor, that I was going to have to be dealing with a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but is it any different for boys and girls like for parents who have daughters who maybe they're being promiscuous maybe mm-hmm. I mean how would it look what are the differences in how it comes across between boys and girls
2: Yeah for girls um the stats aren't as high as guys mm-hmm. but I, I wouldn't you shouldn't minimize it at all because you're right girls struggle with this too and especially with this society that we live in with images and, and those kinds of things and Kids experimenting and you know all that kind of stuff. Just peer pressure talk, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, girls struggle just as much with their sexuality as, as anybody does. So we can't just say it's just a guy's thing. Um, it's not just a boys club type thing. But then for girls, what makes it even harder is um, they may think, well, this is supposed to be a guy's thing and I'm struggling with it, so there's extra shame put on them and they really don't want to talk to anybody because they're not supposed to be struggling with this. So it can be harder for you know a young lady get to get help around these issues because of that double shame that she feels. But you're right, it is it is an issue for young ladies too. And you talked about stats, so could we dig into some of the stats sure. around this issue? Sure. Um, but I usually say stats are only as good as the sources that they come from. Okay. Um, but what I've heard is like 70% of Christian men. I'm talking men, adult men. Um, seventy percent of Christian men and thirty percent of Christian women um struggle with uh, pornography. Um, so and and I think that's probably pretty accurate. Hmm. Um, so, and one in three visitors to adult websites are women. So just to go along with what we talked about, it's really? not just a a boys' thing. So, yeah, but you know a woman might be there for different reasons. There might be a more of an emotional slant to it, um, but still, you know it puts them on uh, dangerous ground. And and they're there,
0: so. Did you catch that? Shane just said that 70% of adult males are addicted to pornography. And then he said that one in three visitors of adult websites are women. So, if this stuff is normal, if kids aren't addicted to this stuff and they'll just grow out of it, then why aren't they? I think it's pretty safe to say that 99.9% of these people would trace their addictions Back to their teen years.
2: Well, a, a very I won't I don't know if I should call it normal or natural, but um, a regular thing I guess I'll call it is you know let's say for a young man he discovers masturbation and then he discovers you know a, a porn website um, and then if he if he keeps acting out on that well that stimulation that he gets that visual stimulation he gets from that website well it's not going to be enough anymore it'll kind of plateau and so he has to search for something that's a little more dangerous or a little more sexy or or hardcore um to to be able to to get the excitement that he needs um to act out and then that will plateau and so he needs the next thrill and so this is how you know these things kind of evolve you know for a young man it just started let's say with masturbation and then maybe okay maybe pornography But then for many men, it can turn into, you know, strip clubs and prostitutes and, and uh, that massage parlors, those kinds of things, because their level of excitement plateaued and they need that next level of excitement. So these things very well can snowball. And I've talked to men who've done all the things that I've just listed that has been their issue. But here's the thing. And here's, you know, the beauty of it for me is I see it coming from a place of brokenness. So I'm obviously not going to be quick to judge them in, in how they've you know acted out cuz we're all broken people we just have different details mm-hmm. but it comes from uh brokenness um so that that's how it can evolve very quickly and if a, if a if a young person doesn't have a safe place to talk about these things or parents haven't really talked to them about sex um parents haven't created a safe space for them to discuss these kinds of things and they don't have anyone to process these things with. Um, that's when, you know, survival just kicks in. They come up with their own coping mechanisms and, and they carry these things into adulthood and into marriages and mm. and then out of that marriage and into the next marriage and, and mm. it just follows them. So we know as Christians, you know, that sex was meant to be between a husband and a wife in the confines of marriage. And it's supposed to be an intimate act. Now, sex in and of itself doesn't equal intimacy it can be an expression of intimacy and it can create intimacy. Um, but when someone turns to something sexual and there's no intimacy around it, there's an intimacy disorder. So a kid looking at pornography, he's not being intimate with you know, whatever he's seeing on the screen. I mean, there's no intimacy there at all. There's no reality there at all. Mm-hmm. So it only perpetuates this intimacy disorder. Yeah. And he, he starts to live out or believe That sex doesn't have to be intimate, which is going to create a lot of problems if he wants to get into a healthy, you know, married relationship someday. So that's, that's, if you're turning to something sexual and there's no intimacy to it, then we have an intimacy disorder.
0: This stuff is crazy awkward to talk about. I know. But let's make it even more awkward. I want you to imagine for a second that you discover that your son or daughter has been looking at porn. What are you going to say to them? Are you going to approach them about this? Shane tells us that we should be prepared for this exact scenario because in this day and age, it's not an if situation. It's much more likely a when situation. So what would you say to a parent who maybe they've discovered that this is an issue for their kid? Mm -hmm.
2: What are the first steps out of addiction for them? Well, I... If you discover something, you know, like you're, you discovered your kid's history or something like that, um, don't panic. And that's, that's what we tell parents. We've had parents call our office and say, oh, my kid was looking at such and such. And we say, okay, don't panic. Because it is traumatic for the parents to discover that their kids have been looking at something like that. And, you know, they may feel guilty or responsible or I could have done more. Just just calm down. Don't panic. All right. Okay, we can we can work through this. And that should lead to a conversation. And not from a place of punishment, but again, from a place of protection. We want to protect our kids. So we, we want them to know, you can talk to me about this. So if we fly off the handle, and we're raging, and we're blaming, and we're screaming, oh, how could you do this? And that kind of stuff. It's mm-hmm. not going to go very well. And it's not going to be very effective. So I don't know if this is a scary thing to say. It's probably don't think if this happens but when it happens i need to be prepared you know for this because it's so common in the society that we live in mm-hmm. so don't panic just have a conversation and then talk about what we're going to do around it talk about setting up filters on the phones and on the computer and, and guidelines and you know as i mentioned in the last podcast you know, turning in your phone at the end of the night we need to protect them because kids don't have again their brains aren't fully developed and so we need to be the parents. We need to protect them around these kinds of things. Yeah. You know, just if Netflix, I think, is good because you can see everything that's been recently watched. So have a discussion around that. Okay, I can see what's been watched on the Netflix. You know? So if I see something questionable, we're going to talk about it. And so uh, dialogue is just, just so important yeah. in creating a safe place for your kid. Um, so what we've told our kids, like if you go to someone's house, you know, for those who have younger kids, if you go to someone's house and you, you accidentally see something, let's say your friend said, Oh, look at this. And you see something that you know, you shouldn't be looking at, looking at, please come tell us feel safe to come tell us. You're not going to be in trouble if you come tell us first. However, if we discover you looked at something and you, you hid it or you lied about it or you were sneaking or something, okay, then there are going to be consequences around that. So, um, again, a place of protection, not necessarily punishment. But then after you've discussed that guideline, okay, there has to be a consequence because you disobeyed us. And so here's the consequence around that. So those are some uh, great first steps, you know, for a parent with their kids. That's good. And I think that's like
0: the, just kind of cutting off the behavior, right? Because, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, we're talking about addiction, which really is rooted in some sort of hurt, some sort of pain, mm-hmm. uh, which are really the roots and the cause of the addiction. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, the manifestations of it, which is the, the acting out, the pornography, mm-hmm. the masturbation, that type of thing. Right. And so this sounds like, okay, cut off the source first, mm-hmm. right? Protect your kid, have that mm-hmm. conversation, begin to talk this out with them. Um, you remind me of,
2: hide your kids, hide your,
0: yeah. <laughs> hide your kids, hide everybody, and hide your husband. <laughs> uh,
2: okay, but what are the, how does, How does?
0: let's say there's there's a kid and it really is deeply rooted in some hurt and pain. Mm-hmm. How does a, a student find long-term healing? How, how do parents walk them through that?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, if you're talking about some really deep-rooted hurt and pain, don't be afraid to get your kid professional help. You know? If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. You know, I use this example a lot, you know, with, with uh, the people I work with. You know, if if someone has diabetes, then treat the diabetes for what it is. If you don't treat it, you know, that person's going to dip. They're not going to be healthy. You know, they're going to crash. You know, call it what it is. Treat it what it is so that person can get on with life. Di- having diabetes doesn't mean you have your life is over. No, you just learn to manage it and you could still live your life. So, people get afraid of those kinds of, you know, diagnoses. So, it's, it's, it's the same around, you know, something like sexual addiction. Okay, yeah, it may be shocking to hear or hard to accept. Oh, it's such a label. But for me, since I was able to say, yeah, I'm a sex addict, I'm finally able to be the Christian I struggled to be before I started recovery around this issue. Mm-hmm. And so, that's liberating to me. So, if your kid has deep-rooted issues... Don't be afraid to get them professional help. Someone who's trained in this area. I, I always say this all the time. If someone's car broke down, they would find a way to pay to get that car fixed. You know, so they could get to work or get to wherever they need to go. That's a priority. But when we're breaking down as human beings or our kids are break, we're we're not so quick to spend the money for some reason. And what's more important, you know, a car or a heart and soul? So we get weird around the money piece, you know. But it's, it's a wise investment, you know, when you get trained specialist people to help in this department.
0: This is a lot of doom and gloom stuff. And I know for some parents it sounds overwhelming, and it sounds exhausting, and it sounds difficult. How can we keep our kids pure in an oversexualized culture? Well, I believe there's hope. We end our conversation with Shane by discussing some preventative measures.
2: Well again a lot of this is because kids brains aren't fully developed yet um, and they still need their parents. They need their parents to be as my wife says their prefrontal cortex lobe, prefrontal cortex I'm getting it I'm getting it wrong. Yeah, that's it. The front part of the brain. Yeah. <laughs> In layman's terms there. So parents still need to be that, you know, for their kids. So that's why guidelines are important, you know, like m- when my kids get their own phone, they're going to understand, okay, hey, whatever text you get, I'm reading, you know, mm-hmm. so it's going to be our text. It's not just going to be your text. So, but that's a way to protect your kids, you know, from things that are coming in. And then, of course, your kid's going to tell all their friends, my parents read my text, you know, so, you know, you very be careful, you know, what you say. Um, so, in those kinds of ways, setting up filters and accountability software on, on your devices, discussion, having these kinds of talks, like I mentioned, you know, Come talk to us if you have a problem. If we discover something, there is going to be consequence. Uh, dialogue around these things, and, and then, of course, for those who are Christians, talking about what God's expectations are—you know, for sex and intimacy—and and I like the way um, one guy put it. He said, "We don't want to teach our kids um, to be pure until marriage. We want them to be pure for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Purity doesn't end, you know, on your wedding night because you were able to have sex or." purity shouldn't end because you already did have sex before marriage or whatever purity is something we strive for for the rest of our lives it's not something that comes to an end so i really like that approach so talk to your kids about what purity is you know about what being holy is in in god's eyes and his expectations and those kinds of things so and talk about the 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 reward of it too the reward of sex and how it's a gift and and it's a blessing and it's worth waiting for. And it's not this taboo thing that we don't talk about. It's bad and dirty and evil. No, talk about, you know, as much as they can handle, you know, the, the good things that it is. So paint it in a different picture. So, but I, I just think dialogue is so important. It's just super important. So. And
1: you mentioned some other programs in the previous episode um that you could purchase to put on your family's devices mm-hmm. can you just re-mention what that was again yeah
2: covenant eyes so if you go to covenant eyes i believe it's dot com um you can just look at the different things that they have set up they have family plans um fairly cheap i think ours is 13.99 a month for all of our devices um so well worth it um so it's just another way to protect your kids
0: Well, that is the conclusion of our conversation with Shane Couch. Thank you so much, Shane. We really appreciate your time. If you have enjoyed this conversation with Shane, he's actually going to be joining us live at Valley Christian Center on April 2nd from 5 to 7 p.m. And we'll be speaking for two consecutive months for our parent nights that we host as a part of our ministry. There's more information in our show notes, so if you want, go ahead and click that button at the bottom of your page here. Also, as a part of our youth ministry, we are hosting an event called The Silver Ring Thing. Uh, It's April 23rd from 5 to 7 p.m. right here at Valley Christian Center. The Silver Ring Thing is a group of 20-somethings that travel the United States talking about sexual purity and hosting concert-style events. They're even hosting a special presentation on the same night for parents of teens and equipping them on this topic. This is an event that's open to anyone in the Bay Area, so if you're interested, you can go ahead and register online at silverringthing.org. Well, thank you so much again for listening. If you've enjoyed this or other episodes that we've done, please help us get the word out and let your friends know about us or leave us a rating on iTunes. That would be very helpful. Well, that's it for episode number four. You are amazing. You are awesome parents. We believe in you, and hopefully we'll see you April 2nd for our parent night. God bless you guys.